It's episode 33 at the MetroFan TV weekly. Well, maybe not so weekly anymore. Uh, but it's episode 33 at the MetroFan TV weekly rundown. Uh, coming to you live after a long hiatus. Um, I'm talking to you guys, actually, in the middle of a long weekend here in Singapore. So I finally had some time to come down and talk about soccer with you guys. So um, evidently, my life, my life skills in making decisions have not improved at all in the time that I've been away. I don't know why the fuck I'm talking about this team when I could be enjoying some rest right now. But anyway, joining me on the podcast today, in lieu of Fernando, is Tom Bellows once again. How are you doing, Tom? Doing all right. Do, it's, it is a day. It is a day talking about uh, the New York Red Bulls. So, I mean, <laughs> you can only go so far up. But, you know, we're, we're enjoying myself. It's, it's always a pleasure to be on. Always a pleasure to be talking to you, Lynn. So, I'm excited. Yeah. All right, so lots of things have happened, right? Like, what hasn't happened this season? Um, I, I genuinely, hey. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> soon, my friends, soon. Keep One the Armist out. out jokes. That's keep tough. the Armist out posting going. Yes, it's it's working. Um, the Armist out meter is still very much into red for all of us here at Venture Fan TV, and um, a light at the end of the tunnel presumably. Um, very big weekend before the game against Toronto is probably the most interesting development of the season happened. And it didn't even happen at our own stadium. That's right. It happened at our home away from home, MSU, where a certain man by the name of Ralph Ragnick was spotted in the bleachers watching our reserves. That was a bit of, it was kind of an interesting um, portent, I think, or like it's, it was an omen for some of the uh, things that would be coming down the pipeline with it. Because I think like... Um, Interestingly enough, it kind of reiterated the fact that, no, I think Ralph, right, Ralph probably isn't just going to be doing everything from a bunker down in Leipzig. He's probably going to be taking a bit more close executive control over the direction of the team, right? And over the course of this uh, transfer window in the last two days, a lot has happened to kind of, um, you know, excuse this to think towards... Um, thinking that some major upheaval is coming this winter. But before we get there, I think we'd probably be good to kind of go over and recap uh, some of the uh, moves that were made, right, towards the end of the window. Um, we're not going to talk about the Toronto game because, quite frankly, it's become impossible to, like, really, like, evaluate this team on a weekly basis because the manager has kind of fucked everything up. And I'm going to be quite frank when I'm saying that. Like... I, I, I don't get, I, I'm as I said in the last episode, the last time we talked, like there's just been zero semblance of a consistent game plan. There's been zero semblance of a clue of the manager showing that he has a grip on the team's tactical instructions or that he knows how the system's supposed to function at a big picture level. And there's zero semblance of an indication that he really, that the manager ultimately knows what the fuck he's doing. And every, all the success, that, all the quote-unquote success, if you could even loosely define it as such, that we've enjoyed this season, have happened as a happy accident as opposed to, um, as opposed to some kind of predetermined plan, right? I think that's pretty much been established, and it felt that way against Toronto, where we kind of got binned for 45 minutes, and we scored two meme goals to pull out a result. Right, so I think that's all we're going to say about the TFC game. Uh, we'll move. 
That's pretty much it, guys. It, they they started Buckmaster so they could do the we signed him and played him immediately thing that they did with Barlow. He looked exactly like you would expect a Red Bull 2 fullback to look playing a professional team. And the team held it together, got the result, three points. Kamar Lawrence set the record for most uh, Red Bull players to score in a single campaign this year. I believe it was 18 is the number for the 2019 season. So we set it, we set a record during the Toronto game. God bless us. We still needed, oh, apparently we still needed attacking death, however, because 18 different goal scorers was not enough. <laughs> It, it, in our in our worst season, we're still setting records, actually. So that's very much big club shit. It's still alive, right? So um, love to see it. <laughs> um, I guess we'll talk about. Um, we'll start there, right? I think if you look at the transfer window in a vacuum, it's kind of not very interesting, right? Because two because two moves were made uh, in terms of bringing uh, players in. Mm-hmm. And one guy was a guy who had technically already been with the first squad twice this season, Correct. right? On a quote unquote loan from our reserve team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reese Buckmaster being the option, I think pick, picked up at fullback to yes. back up um, to back up presumably Kamar Lawrence on that left side. Considering he played, how he on the right, which was interesting because he hadn't done that for a hot minute at Red Bull too. Yeah, I mean, um, well, he well, I think what he has going for him is the fact that he's played. You know, I think he's played both fullback positions at Red Bull two in context of the system, mm-hmm. um, and has generally looked quite okay doing it. I mean, I wouldn't say that he's been like a standout at Red Bull two, but he looks like a steady hand. Uh, you kind of have to wonder if steady hand at USL is gonna really moved the needle at MLS level, I can tell you the answer is no, but this yeah. was a necessary <laughs> signing anyway, right? Because the options were either throwing, the options of left back were playing Cal Duncan out of position to ruin his confidence even more, mm-hmm. or throwing out Connor Lade, which is, um, which, is a, which, is an, which is an issue that has kind of uh, reached Israel and Palestine levels of discourse on yeah. the internet this season. Uh, so we're trying to stay away from that as much as possible. I think it was kind of, this, this was also kind of necessitated by the fact that the Amro Tarek at left back experiment has kind of been a bit, um, hasn't yielded quite great dividends, right? I think that'd be fair to say. If only um, they had like tried to implement that earlier in the season when you still had time to work through the kinks and work out how and teach him how to be a, fullback in the regards of the high of the pressing style that this team has set itself up to play unfortunately we just kind of threw him in there I'm like god bless you son go go stare them stare those defenders down you'll be great and a move that surprised almost nobody it, he was not great he did he did fine he did an acceptable job but he it was clear that he was beat on certain issues and there was moments where the defense was not in sync. Tarek's been perhaps um, by some quotas, our best center back this year. If you want to think in in that regards and his stepping up for Parker and long this year, he's been fantastic at his job. However, even though he's played left back in the past, 
this venture was perhaps a bridge too far as far as the try and play fullbacks without playing Connor Laid, but keeping Connor Laid in the 18 game that we've kind of seen Armis juggling around the past month. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I definitely agree with that. Um, I definitely agree with that evaluation. Like, I think it's clear even while he was playing at center back that he doesn't have um, the greatest amount of foot speed in the world, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as solid as he's been, at, um, as solid as he's been making tackles there at the back line, he doesn't always have the greatest sense for positioning in the world, right? Like, I think there would be a few times where you saw, kind of saw him getting beat with a ball's blade over the back, um, directly over the back line uh, to, um, what is it, defenders kind of running in behind. And it was mm-hmm. only kind of, um, his skin would be kind of saved by the fact that, I, I mean, about whether or not Luis Robles comes out and makes a save, or he makes the recovery and puts in a really nice um, desperation tackle to win the ball back, you know. So, um, Amro definitely not, a full-term option, a left-back. I think that's been firmly established by um, the recent run that he's had out there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I think it, what this also means is that I think it's pretty clear that the writing is unfortunately on the wall for our longest-serving player, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's been something that's been especially clear this year as he's seen the field more. It's just kind of confirming what we already knew, right? Connor Laid is unfortunately... In the year of our Lord, 2019, not an MLS caliber player and not a player that should be seeing significant amounts of game time for any club that has serious ambitions of winning things in this league. And that's probably the nicest way that I'm going to be able to put it. You know, I think it's pretty clear that that ACL tear in 2016 just kind of took whatever, whatever he had left. You know, I think it really can't be understated, like just how significant I think that was. And it's been increasingly clear that he just doesn't really offer anything anymore. You know, you can't really be a hustle player if you can't hustle. And you can't be a hustle player who makes up for some questionable decision-making if your motor can't get you back to recover in time anymore. And that was becoming increasingly apparent this year. So um, I kind of think that late is probably 99.9% um, chance that he's not going to be wearing um, the jersey next season, right? At this point, and he's been kind of been relegated to that Colin role. Mm-hmm. He's um, he's oh no, go ahead. He's yeah, he's definitely reached a, uh, and like that's unfortunately like I don't want to say it, put it like this because I think Reese Buckmaster does have a ceiling that he could be an MLS level um, fullback. But his biggest qualifications for his signing was that he was not Connor Laid, and he could play both side both sides. I think I think in fact I think he's even split seven starts at left back, seven starts at right back at Red Bull too. He can also play either side, so he he was not Connor Laid. He could address both sides fullback depth, and that's why he got signed. There's very yeah. limited um, things besides that that he offers that really stand out in a way that, say, MLS fullback right now in his rookie season out of um, Indiana, he's not Connor Laid. And if Connor Laid is with the team next year, he 
I would hope that that would be in a coaching role or in some way administrative within the youth development system. He is our first uh, home home kid made good. So you'd want to keep him as best we could in the organization. For my mind, like the Connor still has stuff to teach people. He he know he clearly knew knew about being a defender in Major League Soccer. He has something to offer the up and coming generation. He might not have if he's still on the roster next year. Uh, it's going to be difficult to have confidence in the team going anywhere. Yeah, I think it's kind of weird that, you know, despite being a short king, that he kind of stuck around as long as he did for probably the most uh, physically, um, physically, I wouldn't say physically demanding, but definitely the position that kind of relies the most on certain physical attributes such as size and strength, right? Mm -hmm. Because he was a center back at one point, turned into a fullback, and... At some point, he, uh, he, I mean, like, no, no, no. His MLS career is kind of weird because I think he started as a winger, got turned into a center back, and then he became a fullback when he realized he didn't really have the size to play center back. Mm-hmm. And despite all that, he kind of stayed vaguely relevant. It's kind of interesting, I guess. Uh, I'm probably going to have to take a deeper dive at that in another episode. But to kind of go back to Reese Buckmaster a little bit, I think. Um, talking about his ceiling and his potential contributions to the team. I think if you look back to his uh, USL spell, I think as we have been right, uh, f- seeing quite closely, I think the ceiling for Buckmaster seems to be a much better version of Pete Connor late, I guess, sort of like one of those hustle and grit players who could kind of, uh, who are defensively solid, but don't really offer much going forward. And your biggest asset is that they're just kind of comfortable on both sides. Uh, I don't know, really hesitate to say like super comfortable, but maybe, but Buckmaster to me is kind of struck as being competent at the left. And I mean, his natural position is right back. So if he wasn't at least comfortable there, I'd be rather shocked, right? Um, Buckmaster's um, attributes for me, I think his speed could potentially be something that we could groom something out of in terms of uh, offering something up front. But in a vacuum, I don't really have anything against this move because you're not going to be able to get fucking home runs to be your second or third choice fullback at MLS level, right, in the salary cap league. Um, Buckmaster is a perfectly serviceable warm body for those positions. So ultimately I can't really get too mad at the signing. You know, there's no way that uh, we were going to, I think it would be, no, I wouldn't say there'd be no way, but I think it'd probably be really bad business if we spent some amount of Tam to bring in a guy who's just going to mostly be sitting on the bench, right? Or if we gave up assets to bring in someone from the outside, to bring in someone who's going to be mostly sitting on the bench. Especially you know, at this point that, of the season. Especially at this point of the season, yeah. I mean, like, we needed the depth the most in the months of June and July. Yeah. And we basically failed to address um, this issue that we, slu- that we saw in our horizon in winter, and it kind of went the way we expected. So what am I trying to say, folks? This is an analogy for climate change. So go out there and go plant some trees right now, you fucking jerks. 
Save the forests. Save Kamar <laughs> Lawrence. It's one and the same. Exactly. I don't know. Do you have anything to add about Reese Buckmaster? Like uh, thoughts on them playing at USL for just from playing at USL for you? Uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm happy for him. Uh, the one issue, the one kind of question mark is where this leaves Kyle Duncan in the pecking order. Right. At the moment, um, we the experiment at left back has not gone swimmingly uh, for um, um, Mr. Duncan here. It's he's his very last USL game. He got a, he ended up getting a double yellow uh, for a red card, which as an MLS player, as a first team player, getting sent off by foul accumulation in a US in a USL game is not a good start. Kyle's had a rough year, and I feel everyone has seen that. He's done his best. He's doing he's doing quite well. But seeing Buckmaster get the start over him, even though it was a it was a PR start, there was a reason for it. They wanted to show that they're playing guys right away after signing them. Get it? Fine. Who cares? Dunk's been, Duncan has been on the roster for two years. He's been here. That it was in right back. That's his strong spot. So seeing Buckmaster start over him kind of feels make you, makes you feel a certain way in regard to where they where the coaching staff might view Kyle Duncan in his future. Buckmaster has shown problems in the New England game. Uh, he was very serviceable. He, he kept people in front of him more often than he's not. But you could tell that there are spots of his game, through no fault of his own, it was his first uh, first team game, and this is his second first team game, where he's just not there yet. He still lacks something Parker uh, made up for him um, against with, with Toronto. But you you know that there is he's not there yet. He's a very much a project. He's a he's a warm body. He's going to go out there. He's going to do his best. But he's all this is his first professional year. We should not much in the same way. You should if Sean Nealis makes mistakes at center back. It's his first year. It's his first professional year. These are his first professional minutes. We're going to cut him some slack. But in a position so vital to this organization, such as fullback. To see like to see the reminder that the team basically punted on fullback death it was like, oh, it's definitely gonna be the it feels like at the beginning of this year, the idea was that Buckmaster was gonna come on if Lay didn't work out. And they just completely yeah. punted on the concept of bringing in dudes to alleviate the pressure of still knowing that Kamar was Kamar's knees were toast and knowing that Gold Cup was coming up. And Jamaica had made the finals the past two Gold Cups. So you were relatively admitting. And Panama made it to semifinals and third place games the past few Gold Cups as well. They'd done quite well as well. So you came in thinking that this was going to be the play. That Reese Buckmaster, when called upon, would play from the ver- from the word go. Which, it's not his fault. It's not the player's fault. But you will look at him and be reminded of the staffing issues that this team went with this whole season. Not, it's not completely fair to him, but it is a natural human reaction that you will see that, oh, we're, we have Buckmaster out there who's doing his best, doing relatively acceptable. However, we did not address this position of need, and we haven't addressed this position of need until for two years, until this move. 
that's where the Buckmaster signing lines for me. I don't know if his future long-term is going to be a first-team depth fullback because next year, to come into the offseason, which we'll probably get into a bit later, but we're going to see how, what, to me, what spaces he will occupy in the team going forward, especially with laid status still in the air. If he's going to, if they're going to try and bring him back, or if he's just going to be phased out completely. We there's many spots at the roster that we're looking at right now that you're like, where do these people go in the not just future of 2020, but 2021, 2022. That's where I stand on Buckmaster at the moment. Yeah, I I mean I think to me you could tell that the that the organization like um recognized that fullback would kind of be a, a position of interest to kind of start to churn a little bit more, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. judging from uh, the um activity that was done down at Red Bull Two in the off season, where they brought in just a whole bunch of fullbacks, right? I think even before the off season, Giannis was brought in halfway through last year. And then in this offseason, they went out and drafted Buckmaster, Luba, and signed Edgardo Rizzo on loan from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And now, even now, you have John Tolkien emerging down there at Ripple 2. So um, clearly, I think they knew that they would have to do something about that fullback, that position eventually. But it seems to me that it would kind of as you mentioned, only kind of take hold around 2020 where we'd kind of have a completely revamped fullback um, corpse kind of based on whoever emerged from that blo- from that fullback bloodbath down there at Red Bull 2, right? Whoever won the uh, Hunger Games down there for a first-team oh, contract. The real, uh, it, is, it is some serious competition down there. It's great to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I think, so I think... Um, in the typical style of this organization, it's not always going to be the most immediately obvious kind of move, but I do think that there was some stuff in the works to eventually bring someone into a place down the line. It's unfortunately just not kind of come as quickly as it really should have, and that kind of cost us in all fronts um, this year. But with how much of a lame duck the coach looks anyway right now, like you kind of have to wonder if this was kind of done on purpose. The kind of... Uh, you know, to kind of admit that this would be a transition year, let it be a wash, and then just clean house in winter, which I think we'll be getting to in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point about Kyle Duncan as well. Um, you, but, you know, it, it really shouldn't feel like he should have been a project with this, at this point. And the reason why I say that is because around this time, around um, the start of last season, you know, like you, you could see the talent that was on display. You know, it was how it was tantalizing that looked. You know, and I think the biggest indictment of one of the biggest indictments you can throw against the management this year is just how lost Kyle Duncan has ended up looking as the season's gone on. Like he, like to me, like last year, he never looked this overmatched. He never looked this. Um, he never looked this rudderless, you know, in uh, the various starts he made. Sure, he had kind of a bit of a rough game against Orlando when he got hurt, but he filled in pretty well last year at that position. You know, like there was a point in the Portland game where he looked like 
you know, I think such a fantastic addition, right? I think anyone can agree about that. He just looked fantastic when the reserves binned Portland at home 4-0. Remember when we binned teams 4-0 at home with our reserves? Yeah, that's another thing that I kind of mm. want to talk, that, 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 that I kind of use to indict the, the management. But I don't really need to go back, go too much into that. But the deal is that when you see guys like Duncan taking massive steps back, steps back this year, having known how good they can be, and you see how many of our guys, period, have taken step back, steps back this year. Tim Parker's regressed. Sean Davis and Rizza are kind of incongruous in midfield. And, you know, I think um, the only people that really come out looking good from this season are Danny Royer, Kaku, and um, Brian White? I don't know. Brian White, yeah. Brian White and Amrotarik, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone else hasn't looked so high. I mean, that's just an indictment of how badly the management has kind of fucked some of these players up. And I think that's just a simple fact. Um, Kyle Duncan shouldn't be in a position where he feels like a project, you know? Like, that's just a test of, like, how can you go out and sell player development as being a central tenant of your club if management is out there actively ruining players in this manner? You know, you can't, Ruining players is the antithesis to player development, you know, like, and um, it goes without saying to me that um, it goes without saying to me that I think, um, unfortunately, now we're in a boat where our fullback depth is taking a hit because the guy who was supposed to kind of shoulder a lot of those minutes says he's kind of lost his way at MLS level. You know, it shouldn't be. He, it looks like it, it, it's a mental thing with Cal Duncan for me. Like he certainly has the physical tools. He, uh, he's a very good defense first fullback, makes really good interceptions, knows how to position himself well, but it just seems like it's a mental thing to me. Like his confidence is completely shot. He can't get out of his head and he's forgotten just how good of a player he is. And, you know, I mean, I know it's kind of a meme thing to say at this point, but you really do hate to see it. And I'm not trying to be an irony bro when I say that. I kind of hate seeing our players struggle in this matter. And, you know, I think it really portolds that you need a massive change at management level in order to get these players back up on your feet. Yes. Um, and we haven't even touched on some of the more, more uh, egregious crimes on the player development. And, you, so you, and you're going to see how... The very concept of developing our youth players, Christian Casper's comes to mind, where he's just, you know, has kind of had a start-stop, start-stop, start-stop process in this season. You've had Omir Fernandez, who um, is apparently a player on this team. He was in, scored in the homegrown game against uh, Chivas' under-20s. And then the following game, Chris Armas made two substitutions. And Omer did not play. You, I don't know. And so this is going to get into the the uh, new the second signing of the window. Um, yeah, young, young Josh Sims, uh, the only uh, attacking midfield ginger player that this club has ever had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're going to look into that, and that's another his deal structure is another uh, setup for why. I believe we share the belief that 
lefty Armist might be on the outs. However, we're going to look at Omir Fernandez, a winger, a young, a young talent who's played fantastically, done everything correct asked of him. And now, once again, he's seeing himself go down the, on the death chart for no, no purposes of his own. He hasn't even gotten to play Red Bull 2 games, which to me doesn't make sense. Like, we see him in the bleachers. He's right there hanging out. It's great. Him and Christian Casares and uh, Amir Murillo, they've kind of been a bit of a unit, or, or Rito, Edgardo Rito as well. But he's not on the field. And when you have this young player that we took from college, we're like, listen, we're going to give you a homegrown deal. You're going to be our next big project player that we're going to focus on, our attack-minded player. You take this guy in the, in the same way Alex Meal was when he was brought out of Georgetown early and started immediately making impacts. I thought that was going to be Omir's role. Popping in, maybe if he, he didn't have to start perhaps every game, it would be nice if he earned some. It still would be nice if he earned some, as a matter of fact, you know, we're being real about this. But he did not – I was expecting him to be able to be utilized, an effective foul drawer. He draws fouls like no other real attacker on this team. He has movement skills that show that he knows. He gets it. He's seen the system. He's grown up with it. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's just not being utilized. And it feels like Armist de, fa- de facto is to something safe. We've been saying that it's difficult to, to track and have a real trajectory of what the plan for the squads is. It's very difficult to do that because we, everyone here feels that this squad changes its tactics and everything it does on a half-by-half basis. Every 45 minutes, it feels, the game plan alters. You see these adjustments that Armist makes at halftime and it's, it's lauded and they are the correct moves in a vacuum. If you choose to look at this season as only 90 minute windows of competitive fixtures, and you look at the adjustments Armist makes in these, these solitary 90 minute windows, then he's making the proper halftime adjustments. He's sending people out into a successful way and he's making subs that make sense. If you look into a season as a whole campaign, every single game from Champions League, Open Cup, to regular season and MLS Cup and beyond. Or League's Cup if you if we're in League's Cup next year. Who knows? Every single one of that is a giant storybook. And you are looking at Chris Armis essentially in every storybook, in every page of this storybook, with writing giant X's on the first part of the page and then re-scribbling and copying pasting what he should be writing on the, in his drafts, essentially. He just giant X. He's like, this didn't work. Okay, we go back to old reliable, go back to the usual, with no linear progression through how the lineups develop based on performance and, and achievements of those he brings in. Omir, there's no reason he shouldn't be starting, at least getting a spot start, especially with it seems like Muil has picked up an injury. Instead, they threw Derek Etienne out as a looks like a trial run so other MLS teams could see what he's got, and then they sent and they binned him off to Cincinnati. And this was after his Gold Cup run, where his his value would have been the highest. If you don't play him after the Gold Cup run, you immediately find a suitor, pull the trigger, and you're like, okay, there we go. Got, we got the maximum possible return for the hype generated for a player in an international tournament. Tale as old as time since international tournaments and buying players has really came into the fore after the 50s and into the 60s and 70s when these giant 
moves could be made because it was the first time you saw these players. This was kind of like the ideal scenario. It was not broached. And now you just had you had just thrown out a guy for spot minutes to be like, look, he can still do it. Look, there goes Derek. He's doing great. And now we send him on the at a 1 a.m. announced, like 1 a.m. finalized loan to Cincinnati for maybe 10 games. They have an option to buy. And that's how you end the career of some guy who's basically been with this organization for almost a decade since he started as a kid. You And it's things like this that are frustrating and shows that the manager – and this goes with the youth development too. The manager is, un, is not confident enough to make the decision to do something that Red Bull, the organization, is based around. Play and play your youth and give them positions to succeed and impress people so you sell them for a high value. He has not done that. He has not pretended to. Mark Tchaikovsky, God bless the guy. He's top five in the squad for minutes. There's no reason that should be the case. When you had Christian Casters on the bench or isolated an RB2 18s, no reason. I, there was the excuse in the beginning of the year that they he was coming off of this Comedy Bowl under-20 tournament. Guess what? That ended in February. If he missed the first two Champions League games, fine. That's a, acceptable. Anything before that, where we've been waiting to see Caceres function in a meaningful way with uh, minute by minutes, that that is just – it doesn't make sense to me that – the whole antithesis of Red Bull is develop your young players, put them in positions to succeed, have them play, prove their worth. If they flame out, they flame out. You have That's the reason you have young players. Young players are a dime a dozen. You can pick them up. You have new prospects. We have a whole pipeline dedicated to producing these players and finding these players. And just leaning back on veterans, leaning back on, do, on people you think are going to be able to do a job and you're comfortable with is not how – this system gets the best out of their teams. Last year, we saw many players. We, we used a surprising amount of, of players last year, and we were very, always confident that they could at least try and do the job asked of them. That's been the, the hallmark of this team. You throw these young players on. You hope they do a good job. Usually they do. Brian White has been an example of a player succeeding in this capacity and becoming the absolute number nine for this team, the starting forward for this team. Through his own yeah. hard work and determination. They, they, he hasn't really been set up. He's been doing goals based on individual talent and being in the right space at the right time. He succeeded. And credit some credit for credits too. But you can't only have one shining example when the goal was that this year multiple players would be brought through and brought to the fore as we start seeing older players being prepared to be cycled out. Should not be how that, that's looking. Coming yeah. into 2020. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything much more to add to that point because I think that just kind of hits it on the head with me and on a player development standpoint. So I think as you uh, mentioned at the top of that, um, we talk about the signing of Josh Sims. So uh, signing from Southampton on a young DP contract. Uh, here he is, guys, uh, the, the, the third DP that you guys wanted, I guess. Um well, having had a look at some of the uh, footage, I mean, in a vacuum, he's kind of seems like a pretty uh, exciting player, right? And I think uh, you have a look at his um, the, the 
pace and physical assets on offer. And it kind of whets your appetite a little bit, right? He runs the channels really well. He's got this really nice uh, little... Uh, he, he looks like he has that really nice um, ability to kind of knock the ball past his defenders and just go around him with the speed and the space. Makes me think that that'll really fit some of those uh, transition moments that we get, right, um, yes. on the break. Uh, looking at the resume, I mean, ticks a lot of boxes here. Uh, Youth International won the Under-20 World Cup uh, with England, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, played at the Toulon tournament with the Under-22s or Under-23s. I mean, the Toulon tournament isn't like the most prestigious um, youth tournament in the world, but I mean, you're still getting looks at international level, right? So um, getting a look at like how Southampton fans have kind of reacted to this as well. uh, You know, I mean, they seem kind of gutted that he's not going to be around for the start of the season and that it's only temporary, right? Uh, He really does seem to have uh, be something rated by Southampton fans. And they've been pretty spot on with um, player development themselves, right? Um, Southampton are a great club when it comes to, uh, you know, bringing kids in from their youth ranks, promoting them to uh, the first team, and then selling them on for big amounts of bucks. I mean, you look at recent success stories, you know, uh, there's one by the name of Gareth Bale. There's one by the name of Luke Shaw. Um, You know, guys like Adam Lallana fit there as well. Um, I'm sure Virgil there are a few Dijk. that I'm, yeah Virgil van D- well I mean he didn't come up through the academy per se yeah. but he does kind of fit that model right like guys brought in from other European clubs who were developed and eventually sold um, yeah. for really big bucks yeah I mean Virgil van Dyke would be um, a great example of a guy I mean when they signed him from Celtic and turned him into a fucking world beater of a defender another one which brings us back to the Red Bull connection, is a man by the name of Sadio Mane, right? Mm-hmm. Who yeah. they signed from Red Bull Salzburg. Yeah. And then sold on to Liverpool. So... you know, Southampton is a Liverpool under-23 side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, you know, I mean, like, um, Southampton fans have been privy to a whole bunch of really good youth players coming up through the ranks and developing at their club. So I see it as a good sign that Sims is rated by a fair bit of their fan base. Another pretty good example that I just got, that I just remembered, Theo Walcott as well actually came up through Southampton. So. <laughs> Shout out to all the Arsenal fans. Uh, thoughts and prayers for Alex Iwobi. Um 3-0. I think we're this year. Oh dear. Um, next big thing. Still waiting to become the next big thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to uh, Sims particularly. I mean, like, uh, my optimism for this signing is basically in a vacuum. But in context of what he brings, he's probably not going to be here for very long. Uh, what we initially thought was going to be a 12 or 18 month loan is actually just until the end of the MLS season, which is kind of a bit of a head scratcher, but um, on a competitive front. But in the bigger picture, I think that's what kind of uh, this is kind of a Ralph Ragnick t- tipping his hand a little bit as to what's coming in winter, if you ask me. 
And while I think that signing another winger when you have such a glaring need, like in the center of the field, needing a true, you needing a true defensive midfielder, right? Or a defensive midfielder who can play in context of how Red Bull Global wants to play. It seems a bit pointless bringing in another winger. But the exciting thing about this um, signing to me is the fact that it's a Ralph Rolodex signing. Mm-hmm. Because you have to remember at Southampton right now, the man in charge is a former Red Bull Leipzig manager in the form of Ralph Hasenhutl, right? And one of Ralph's right-hand men is a, was Southampton's former academy director, Paul Mitchell, right? Who came over to Red Bull Global to be their head of scouting. So you could kind of see that there's the Ragnet connections all over there. It's not the most sensible move in terms of uh, reinforcements for a position where we already had a lot of them. But to me, yeah, we had 14 of these fucking guys. Mm -hmm. Some of which, as you mentioned, really should be seeing more, seeing the field more. Hashtag Mm -hmm. free Omir. Free Omir forever. Free free Omir forever and arm us out, you know? But um, the deal is, is I think the big picture thing here is a bit more exciting than the actual um, player being brought in. The player being brought in should be fine. Like, I think he's got some pretty useful attributes. If he helps with our chance creation on the field, with his ability to get to the byline and send crosses in, then that's even better. You know, I think there's enough to be vaguely optimistic about him, even though he's not going to be around for very long. But the more optimistic thing for me is the fact that it probably means that Armas is going at the end of the season. (laughs) (laughs) It it was the biggest confirmation I've ever seen. Like, your new signing is only going to play nine games. Good luck with that. Yeah, like... Oh, man. Yeah, like, I feel like your optimism about this signing and context of what happens is directly proportional to your faith in Chris Armas as a manager. So if you could kind of read the sign that it probably means that he's going at the end of the season, then that's fucking great. Like, it it, it might as well be MLS Cup, right? Armas being fired is our MLS Cup. That's that's the canon right now. I'm sorry to say, but yeah. <laughs> meet me at the Canyon of Heroes when Armas is sacked, and sometime in November, or December, I'll be there. We, 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 we should throw a ticker tape parade actually by ourselves, just like a bunch of like fucking twenty something year old irony bros and like fucking uh, Metro Stars throwbacks and uh, twenty fourteen Red Bull jerseys. Just throwing confetti. There. Yeah, throwing some throwing confetti on themselves as they walk down the Canyon of Heroes Supreme singing Iron We Are the Harley. Champions. Supreme Harley <laughs> jerseys. Let's go. <laughs> Take her the- like, printed out pictures of Chris Armis ripping them up. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Got to get Derek Jeter involved as well for some for some reason. Like that, that, that would really put a cap in everything. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you like destroying teams, low budget teams. Exactly. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Red Bull should sell to Derek Jeter. I feel actually. Like people, people want major major New York sports icons owning clubs in this in this town. So like, I could think of no one better than selling it to. New Jersey man, Derek Jeter. 
who's done a fantastic job with the Miami Marlins, and you shouldn't you shouldn't fact check me on that. How about we have Derek Jeter as the owner and Isaiah Thomas as the sporting director? I don't see how things could go wrong there. I feel like that would be a positive work environment for all involved. He he will actually trade all the homegrowns for Eddie Curry and sign Eddie Curry to like the third DP slot. Uh, I think people would like keeper in the world. Well, if Frank Roast could be a DP, I'm sure Eddie Curry could fit the bill just as well, right? But he doesn't have to rebound either. Like, he can just kind of slap the ball away this time. So maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing it right now in my head. It would. It's a beautiful sight. It's so beautiful. Where are uh, Anyway. Derek Jeter, Hellscape. <laughs> Anyway, to kind of get back to uh, Sims a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the biggest indication that some upheaval in winter is coming. And the reason why I say that is, is because I don't really see any other reason to bring in a guy for nine games unless it means that you don't want to invest in the manager long term. Right? I think if, uh, if we did spend mega bucks on bringing in a quote-unquote impact player, uh, hashtag difference maker. It would kind of indicate that Armist is kind of around for the long term. But I think uh, there's an interesting conspiracy theory that's been shared actually that it really does seem that Armist knows that he's a that he's a dead man walking based on some of the body language they displayed in the sidelines, right? Yeah. How kind of nervous he's looked recently, kind of, and how on edge he seems. I don't know. I think it really does kind of kind of seem that this is a man who kind of knows that now that. Um, sweater grandpa Ralph Ragnick is taking a closer look at the organization that he's probably not long for it. And I think one of the more interesting things is that now Ibrahim Sagaya is getting the Armish treatment in the all access videos that we had last year, right? When, uh, yeah, when Armist was starting to be included a bit more in, uh, in those talking after Jesse. Now that Ibrahim Sagai is getting video profiles and is being featured in all access more, like you kind of wonder, is this foreshadowing for Ibra to take over Red Bull 2 when Wooly gets promoted to the first team? It kind of seems like that would be... Yeah. That would be kind of our tinfoil hat theory here at Metro Fan TV this week. Um, keep a very close eye out on that. But um, that and the Derek Etienne loan, which I think are these two these two transfers are kind of linked with each other, right? Bringing in Sims means sending Etienne out, which means you're starting to churn some of the USL 2016 crop. Yes. You know, I think that, to me, indicates that they're exploring ways of moving on from this core. You know, it seems to me that there's going to be some pretty big upheaval coming this winter. And there are going to be a lot of very familiar names moving on and very and kind of very new faces being brought in to uh, replace them. Our and team next year will not look the same and yeah. it will make some people uncomfortable. I feel we've as is, as is natural. Yeah. yeah because uh, you know, I mean, you don't, you, these players aren't as known commodities, you know, mm-hmm. like you're breaking up what is literally as of the time of speaking, the best regular season team in MLS history. Mm-hmm. Still remains to be seen whether or not LAFC can beat our points record. I think that they might, but 
even then, it's still one of the most enormously successful teams that MLS has ever seen that's mm-hmm. being broken up here. And I think as if you were as big a fan of that team as I think we were in 2018, it's going to cause some heartache, right? You're going to see a lot of guys who brought you arguably one of the biggest joys, the biggest pleasures of ever watching this team in franchise history kind of leave the organization. It's going to cause some chitters. But, you know, I think... And I guess, you know, I, I, I do get some of the pushback from people. It's a bit... It's a bit hard when all you kind of really have to go off of is blind faith in mm-hmm. Ralph Regnick and his plan. Because, uh, you know, I mean, you don't exactly know how, um, you know, truly altruistic that plan is ultimately. But for me, like, it's a wait and see kind of thing for me. Uh, see what's going to happen this winter. And because I think that's where Ralph is really going to be showing, like, his hand, right? That's where we really see what direction Ralph wants to take this part of the club in, you know, in terms of the guys that he's bringing in, in terms of what he's going to be prioritizing here in New York. You know, I've always believed that player development isn't antithetical to winning trophies. And in fact, that winning trophies is kind of a product of successful player development and integration. So I guess, you know, I mean, I am kind of cautiously optimistic about what he might be doing this winter because we already have two clubs that we can kind of point to to say that this is kind of what Ralph does, right? Yes. You look at how you look at Leipzig and Salzburg. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just casually bring up a team from the German sixth division to uh, competing in the Champions League on a regular basis. That just doesn't really happen, right? Um, that doesn't happen every single year. Like that's just a simple fact. And then you look at how well integrated Salzburg are with the whole system and how they're basically a talent production factory for a lot of teams across Europe, right? It's not just Red Bull Leipzig that they feed. They sell players freely to other clubs as well. Just within the last year, it was guys like Munis Dauber and uh, Conrad Leiner, right, who went to uh, Gladbach with Marco Rose, RIP Marco Rose. But um, you look at these kind of things and... I've always held this point. If Salzburg is going to be our end goal, if our end goal is going to be the Salzburg of the Americas, I can be a happier man because Salzburg win a ton. But whether or not that that can happen in context of a league that is where the competition is increasingly, where the talent level, I would argue, is actually at a much higher level than the Austrian Bundesliga. That's kind of the other thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like for me. You kind of do have to place some of that in context of... The fact that other teams in MLS are starting to have that capacity to kind of compete on us on this front, you know, and I think it's going to, it's going to, I interestingly kind of see it as kind of being a case where it's them betting on themselves and betting on their faith in the infrastructure that they've developed here in New York and New Jersey, that that would be enough to create the players that can go toe-to-toe with those teams that are spending a ton of money and bringing in young South American guys. And honestly, the way that it turned out in 2018, I don't blame them. They made... They they went toe-to-toe with Atlanta. Like, Mm -hmm. Miguel Almiron, probably the best player that this league has seen in, like, probably the last um, two or three years outside of Giovinco. Hey, they went toe-to-toe with that team, right? 30-goal scorer Joseph Martinez, overshadowed by... 
they meet, Brad, meet Bradley Wright Phillips. You know, I mean, like, that's the thing. As of now, I don't really think that, as of now, we know that with the proper people in place, um, we know that those players will be coming. But whether, but whether, but how well that holds up, I think, from 2019 20, and 2020 onwards, as MLS kind of enters this new era where of a, you know, kind of really big splashy signings, whether or not that holds up, that's probably going to be the biggest challenge that we face going ahead. And that's probably the most wait and see part of it for me. We know that this has worked in the past. Now I'm kind of excited to see if it will work in the future. And what makes me think that it will, I think you look at Leipzig again, right? They've managed to stay competitive in the Bundesliga, despite a lot of Bundesliga teams like, you know, bringing in some big names, you know? They've, they, they're, they're keeping up with the Dortmunds of the world because Bayern are just on a whole nother level over there. Yeah. So I'm not really going to get into that too much. But Leipzig, in spite of, spe- of spending, you know, I think... Leipzig don't, aren't the biggest spenders in the world, but they spend enough to consistently qualify for Champions League every single year. So, I mean, I don't really have a reason to think that, um, that you know, it's going to be... That there's some reason to believe that we can stay competitive with this model going forward. And it's going to be interesting to see that this winter. Yeah, this winter, I mean, like I said earlier, it's going to make people uncomfortable with the amount of changeover that you're going to see. Uh, we've lost, we're in the process of, you know, seeing a the decade that we dom that this team dominated Major League Soccer on a level really not really before seen. And people are going to forget that, unfortunately, I feel, um, because there would be the qualifier that the team did. It got its shields, but who cares? We we own the 2000, 2010s as a decade in Major League Soccer from all, all possible um, metrics. We were the best. And to end it on this note and to feel that it's ending on kind of a whimper, instead of a bang is really what's going to get people. Obviously it seems as we look back more and more that last year was supposed to be the culmination of a grand project uh, that people wrote. A lot of people rode off into the sunset would ride off into the sunset and people would be like, look, everything worked. The project, the whole system built to to something that was self-sustaining dominant and ever victorious. Didn't work out that way. And so it seems like there was an attempt to at least have that momentum on life support and bring it through to this year. We're not going to see that. We see Chris Armis kind of fumbling about. And obviously we've mentioned, like, we we both very clearly believe that that he's done. And that's going to be probably the first domino to fall in uh, the 2019-2020 offseason. And you know, spare a thought for the guy. Uh, he's there has been no, there was no mention that he ever picked up an extension despite winning a supporter shield. He's he's shown that he's over his head, but that's to be expected. It's his first professional job of any capacity, coaching as a head coach. He's only his only other experience is uh, developmental academy, and uh, I think Division One women's soccer. Completely different animal. He's been pushed into this role. He never got that extension. He's coaching on 
probably one of the lower tiers of the salary and of for league coaches. And you don't know if he's going to immediately be able to bounce that and parlay that into a new job because this season has been unfortunate. And he's you've never really felt that he got much investment from the higher ups to be like to draw confidence. So when you have in the beginning of the season, you have people like us who are like, well, arm us out, like this, that, and the other thing. We're just picking up on how we believe this he's being projected to us by t- the, the team itself. It's not that we're just like, oh, this guy's terrible. You see like there's not really an effort to bring in the proper reinforcements that we believe that the club needed. And now we're gonna it's gonna be a big a reaping for him in 2020. We have a lot of players that you might have like I on a personal level, I do believe this is Brad's last season with the club. I believe we could be moving on from him. There's a chance that we could be moving on from Aaron Long, Michael Amir Murillo as well, could be potentially moving on. There's been rumblings that it's going to be happening in the in the waiver window, which goes until August 30th. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That's just rumors as of recording. Very well might happen. Who knows? But we will see a team next year that has – Faces that you didn't expect to see um, as the main faces for probably about two seasons. You're probably going to see next year, Brian White will probably be cemented as the team's starting forward, which he already is, but right now there's still the idea of Bradley White Phillips. You will, pro- you might still have Danny Royer on the club. He might be the, the club's the club servant, and he's but still deserves it. He's still producing at a, at a very high level. You might not have Luis Robles next year which to many people is a just world-breaking event. He's the captain of the team. He's been the first captain to survive several seasons. But we shouldn't get it twisted and act that he's been un- he's been incorrupted by this season because he's been organizing a defense that's let through more goals than it did all of last year at this halfway point with still 10 games plus playoffs to go. So – He's still the guy who's been in the in net for the majority of these games. He's still the guy that's been organizing and setting people and setting the defense up. You could say like it's it's a new center back pairings, but Luis Robles is not that is something he's not that's not different for him. He's seen us go through several different center back pairings in front of him. He it's his job to organize and set this this up at a high level. It's his job to be the a leader to pull the team together. And I don't and I personally on a personal level, I don't believe he's done that to a satisfactory degree in as because I feel up and down to this organization that they are still struggling um, and with coping with the, the playoff loss last year, because everyone was all in on that um, Hollywood ending right off into the sunset in 2018. I still feel that this greatly mentally affects the team going, not just from the, the players, but all the way up, you feel it every day. So, but that's, as we go to the 2020 off season, you're going to have Sean Davis will more than likely still be with this club. His um, mate, uh, mate in midfield, Mark Shikovsky has fallen off this year. Even though he's top five in minutes, I don't foresee him coming back. Everyone to you probably asked when you saw uh, Shikovsky on a free this year was like, okay, he's going to be a deft super sub like he was at the end of last year to great effect. I don't think there's anyone who thought that he was going to be the first name on the team sheet week in and week out. He's yeah. and he he it's he's being very limited in what he can do. He's not put in this this uh, position that's 
six that he's being able to succeed in with Davis. He knows that he's it's not like he's like, oh, better go out there, have a great game. He probably knows that he's being put in, in a spot in a tough spot. So I don't think you're gonna see Shakovsky next year. Kaku, I would hope, is back for next year. We didn't if you were not if we didn't sell him in this window when his value would have probably been the absolute highest. I don't think we're selling him in anytime soon. Whether or not he's going to be still as effective in his different roles remains to be seen. Wheel probably he'll still he'll I guess that he's here as well. The center back pairings is going to be interesting going forward. As I mentioned, Long there's been the whispers that he's been a high priced commodity. He did just re up, but as we know in in global football, re upping a player do- doesn't always mean you're keeping him. It might mean that you're jacking up the price for when you sell him. So there's a yeah. chance we might not see long um, for 2020. Parker probably here. Um, if long stays, I don't know if we if Amro Tarek, who's been a revelation, is around. And a big question mark once again would be the fullbacks, um, which are might go on through a complete um, cycle rotation. Mario is obviously the one in question, right? And and Laid are the most likely to bolt. Um, but it'll be Kamar Lawrence, another year older and with more wear and tear. With the and still questioning if he's going to be completely a thousand percent um, coming off the, the major knee injuries, and if he hope hoping that he doesn't pick up any major knocks for the rest of the year, he's he's played I believe a hundred plus games at left back. I think that was like a hundred three hundred and four is like the actual total, um, which is potentially the highest number that anyone. I don't have data that goes back into the older. Years, but he's 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 been the very epitome of the idea of a left back, and how much longer he's going to be able to fill that role with the same speed and tenacity that we ask him is going is a question mark that's going to start having to be asked. So our depth or the depth in that position would would as we we've, we've already covered Laid and what where we think he's going to fall or lack there of falling for next year, and with the lack of confidence and the lack of support center for Duncan. We don't know if he, if I can't say with a hundred percent certainty that the team's for sure bringing him back next year, and if, I can't say that that's written in pen. It probably is written in pencil. I can't tell you that it's written in pen. And then yeah. we have our, our younger guys who are working on Christian Casares, Omir Fernandez, um, Matthias Jorgensens um, is, I guess, the other uh, factor that people do forget about. He's done fantastic once he's gotten his foot his feet under him at Red Bull 2 where he ends up next year in our plans if we try with the two striker look finally with him and White up front that's to be determined uh, he's been sent here Matthias has to be developed and that might get lost in like the ebbs and flows of the season but we, he was sent to us as a project to prove our worth in developing talent and I can't say for certain that we are completely succeeding in that regard. He's done great at USL, but he wasn't brought in to fulfill uh, just USL, USL minutes for the next two or three years. He's supposed to develop into a quality attacking striker. He's very fast. He makes intelligent runs. Um, where that goes next year is a big part of how we can view our synergy in the Red Bull global community. And 
we'll just touch on the on the Sims bit. Obviously, he's only here for a few games. How he performs and who is his second, I would say, is more interesting than how he performs. Because next year you might get Florian Velo back. I don't know if we're ever going to see him at the level that he that we saw for those magical uh, few weeks in 2018. I don't know if we're ever going to see that again um, at any sort of level for the, with the club. So you, the interesting codification of what might be the winger death chart for next year is to me the most interesting part of the sim signing. Who is going to be used to sub him out or who's going to be behind him? Is it going to be Wheel when he's healthy? Is it going to be O'Neill? Um, I think we can both safely say um, that the Andreas Ivan ship has sailed. He yeah. is going to be riding out the rest of the season in his muscle cars. And he will probably <laughs> maybe become a part of the Red Bull street team. He'd probably do a fantastic job at that. But I think as a player in Major League Soccer, we will not see him on this club in any other option than maybe like a tertiary substitute appearance for the rest of his time here. He's his, the ship seems to have sailed on him, um, which is unfortunate, but then the breaks another, as I mentioned, we had the, the forward situation with uh, Jorgensen, Jorgensen and, and white. And that also leaves the variable of Tom Barlow who had kind of thrust into the role this year with the, decline of Brad and the, and the injury, where does this leave him for next year is a big question mark. If you're going to be able to run a two striker system at up front, there is certainly place for Tom Barlow in this squad. If you're not doing that, or if you are doing that and Bradley Wright Phillips comes back for a final year, don't know if I can be like a thousand percent with that. It kind of leaves Barlow in the lurch. Um, unfortunately, and that's going to that's gonna be a tough decision coming on this season. And whoever the new manager is going to be and whoever, however the new manager views how he will set, how he will set up his new squad is going to be very key for keeping Barlow or White or, and how we're going to approach that. As well as, let's not forget that we still have a Red Bull 2 prospects that we might, that are coming, that are coming due. Uh, off the top of my head, Jared Stroud who has, has once again, right after last year and this year, has proven that at the very least he should get a look for a potential first-team minutes next year. On a personal level, I think he churns Vincent Besicourt at the very least. And you've also got players like Chris Lemma, Evan Laura, who we're still waiting to see if they make a jump to being able to push four minutes. Laura at least pushing Mera out of the 18 at, towards the end of this year would, I think, be a step forward in the right direction. It's tough to judge second and third goalkeepers because there's not much time for it. But at this point, Laura is going to be over 70 appearances for Red Bull 2. So there's, you know, at some point, you know what you got. And you have to test him against the first team opposition. 2020, and we, we haven't, we've kind of been silent about this, but then an, a, another variable for 2020 is where is Dennis Hamlet going to be? Is he still going to be with the organization? Maybe bump down a level instead of as a sporting director facility. Is he going to keep his job with no real issues? Or is he going to follow, potentially follow Chris Armis out the door? This season, whether or not how much you believe that um, Dennis is involved in the greater overarching transfers in 
um, this club. You can you I can't say that he gets by with any with no pass this year, because as we mentioned earlier, we entered this season coming into Cup season with the potential that Parker and Long with being an entire back line would have been could have been potentially away, and even Amrotari to an extent with African Cup of Nations could have been away, and there was simply no depth to ensure that this club would could weather that potential storm. And I, we talked that it's going to be tough to get like real solid, solid options, but it's not impossible. And we, you bring, but Dennis was brought in to find these diamonds in the rough. Like as we, as we all know, Amro Tarek is a U.S. is U.S. nationally counts with no um, international spots. Born in Los Angeles, another player that we found in this regard is on Alan Giannis as well, who, U.S. citizen, no international issues, found on the cheap good deals, good potential death deals, but we didn't find anybody um, for this year. And this year, that hiccup in the center of the season that seemed to be completely avoidable really hit us hard. And it's been tough to say that this club has gotten over that divide. So I don't, I, with, if you went with my gut, if you ask me right now, I think Hamlet stays on. I think he survives Armis. I don't think they're a package deal, but I think his role in the club gets kind of frozen out of what it probably people think a sporting director should do long term. Yeah. It's just not really clear, like, what the sporting director, I think, in context of the uh, total global hierarchy does. I agree. Like, it could very well just be a bureaucrat, very well just be a guy, like, just making sure that. Everything is in compliance with MLS regulations, you know, like that's pretty much what he could be, right? He could be, you could just totally be just like Red Bull's like in-house MLS compliance guy, <laughs> yeah. making sure that the rosters are in order and they can, they're allowed to do these things with the MLS rules. I think it's entirely possible, but um, I guess one thing I haven't ruled out about the potential thing about um, next year is that I, I'm going to go back to that point you made about Josh Sims, actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I do wonder if there is a case where if he performs well enough here, like really, like, knocks it out of the park, will enforces the issue with how good he looks out there on the wing to see potentially if they're interested in bringing him back on a permanent basis. If, if slots don't open up at Southampton, you know, I think that could be a potential scenario. I don't know how probable it is going to ha- how probable it actually is, but it's a possibility, right? We shouldn't rule that possibility out either. Mm-hmm. That you know, I think even on a short-term loan, if he shows enough the rest of the season, that they'd be interested in trying to bring him back in a you know in a more permanent basis. But that remains to be seen, of course, depending on how he plays um, for the remaining games that we have this season. And it probably and it begins on the road in in Los Angeles. I mean, like with how the season has gone and how much time we really have left to talk about things. I don't really. I'm just gonna go over that one real quick, I guess. Um, if you look at the probability, it probably looks like it's gonna be an L, right? <laughs> kind of goes without saying. Um, yes. Uh, kind of not a lot of reason to be optimistic going into this one, sadly enough. I mean, LAFC are 
a juggernaut, but they're a juggernaut only because the rest of the league is just fucking horrible this year, right? I you, like, you, you do, do kind of get the rub in the same way that TFC did when you're, like, basically the only good team in the league, you know, quite frankly. Um, and because of that, I mean, like, I wouldn't really be surprised if you see an L. I mean, Villa's probably having probably, I think, what is statistically the most impressive season of any player that has ever worn a jersey for any club in MLS history. Better than 2016, 2017, in Giovinco, even, right? Um, so this is a true, like, all-time great season that he's having, and that's what's kind of driving him forward. But instead of Vela, you know, it's also the contributions of some of the less heralded guys that they signed. You know, it's uh, a lot being made of the uh, midfield pairing of Mark Anthony Kay and Edward Artuesta, who, by their powers combined, forced their third DP away from the club, right? In Andre Horta. Mm-hmm. And uh, in his place, they brought in that fella from Uruguay who we had discovery claims on. Get his name, uh, Brian Rodriguez. Some throwing down some smackaroos, yeah. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch going forward. I mean, it'd be pretty funny that the introduction that this fella ends up disrupting the chemistry of your team and they suck ass for the rest of the year. And it Hell gets yeah. and it gets started by us. Like, do you know how funny that would be if we get in the way of LA, if we get in LAFC's way and they kind of self destruct the rest of the way. And we end up keeping the points record because of a slide that we started. Like that'd be some fucking like that. That would be that would be another trophy for me. Dennis that'd be Hammer my other master class. Yeah, that, that would be my other MLS Cup. So five trophies is back on, gents. Big club shit is not dead. <laughs> We're on the double, boys. Exactly. We're on the double. <laughs> All right. Um, Okay, so I guess we'll move into the questions because uh, we're just trying to try and round out the episode while we still can. Um, thank you, everyone, for, uh, A, waiting a long time for this episode to come out. Um, we're hoping to start produce. I know you've heard me say this a lot, but we're hoping to try and get the podcast out on a more regular basis once again. Uh, probably wouldn't see me being involved every week, but you'll definitely be hearing from Tom and Fernando quite a fair bit more and I'll be hopping on when I can. Um, but, uh, besides that, you know, we'd like to thank everyone for uh, being so patient and sending in a question. Once again, uh, we'll start with Ben mind stand shout out to BMS. I have heard of the energy drink soccer show. I've been on it once. And so has Tom. Um, twice. Get good. <laughs> oh yeah. Twice. <laughs> I'm a fucking scrub. I'm a pleb. I need to L2P. Um, Alt F four. Um, <laughs> All right. Asking us where the Sims fit into the eighteen. Whose spot is under jeopardy the most? Thoughts about making Sims a fullback too. I don't think Sims is a fullback, and I think Chris Armis was smoking crack when he said that he was a wingback slash winger because he definitely seems very much to be a winger to me. Oh, he right? did say that, didn't he? Say that. Oh, he God. did. Like, no. Nah, like, like, I back for MLS Cup Finals, guys. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, like, like Jesus, if, if we see Sims at fullback, like, I think Armis has really fucking lost the plot. But we already knew that anyway. So, um, we already knew that anyway. So, it just means status quo, right? Mm-hmm. Hashtag Armis out. Um, 
where does he fit into the 18? I mean, I think he probably is being brought in to start. I, 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 I wouldn't really deny that. Um, this is definitely someone who they've brought in because they think he can make a contribution with the starting 11 right off the bat. You know, he does have some of those, uh, some pretty exciting tools to go off of that. That makes me think that, um, that that's possible, you know? So, yeah, I, I think he fits into the starting 11 right off the bat. And if it means that you have a guy like Alex Mule coming off the bench to uh, be like our late game Park Chi Sung, like I've said he probably should be and is best suited for, that's great. You know, I think having Wheel as a weapon off the bench is great. You know, I think he can, he can definitely do a job there. I think I, so yeah, that's where I think Sims fits into the 11. Yeah. Um, I think obviously he's going straight into play when he plays his first game is anybody's guess. Don't think he's playing as LAFC as we are dealing with our immigration, um, lawyers, which brought you fantastic hits such as when will Andreas Ivan be on the field and Matthias Jorgensen. What is he? Where is he? Some great hits from, from, uh, the past here. I think we're probably going to see him come on as a sub against New England at home. Um, and then he's probably going to be plugged straight into the uh, 11, 11 going forward. And he's going to play opposite of on the other side of the wing from Royer with White, White, White up, up front. The person that's going to get knocked out of the 18 for this, for me, is going to be Andreas Ivan who might take the Aurelian Collins spot of club mascot who's posted in, in pictures a lot. That's where I think this is going for that, for Sims, and going straight to the 18. And obviously the person that that affects the most besides Andreas Ivan is hashtag free Omir. So that's one slight downside to bringing in a new winger. Yeah, definitely. Got to... Just, just play Omir Fernandez, man. Like, God fucking damn it. Bald-headed fraud. What's the worst that could Omer happen? Fernandez. We yeah. win? <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris Ashley asking, Davis, CCJ, Rizza, pick two for your first choice 11 and describe the best situational role for the third. I think this one's pretty straightforward. Davis and CCJ for me. Rizza comes off the bench to uh, spell for Davis when he gets a bit tired towards the end. Because I think Rizzo is definitely more of a shuttler. He's not. He, he shouldn't be a fucking holding midfielder. Like, I think that, like, like how, the, how the two midfielders have been used this year have been a fucking disaster, right? Like, this is not a double pivot, you guys. Like, I don't think they have the functionality of double pivot, as it turns out. I know I was kind of going on that horn earlier this season. Yeah, you know, you want to hear me say it? I was wrong, right? You heard me say it. Um... Davis is an eight. Rizzo is an eight. CCJ is a guy who is probably an eight, but can play the six as well. And I think judging from what I've seen, I'd like Davis and CCJ to start because Davis makes better decisions on the ball. And I think, you know, I think he really just knocked it out the park last year um, next to Tyler Adams in the middle of the field. So Davis gets the uh, nod over Rizzo for me and Rizzo, Gets returned to the Rizza role, which he excelled at last year. 
coming off the bench to provide late game energy and to help ensure that the link in midfield continues right for the final push because I think he that, that really suited them the best really um, yeah so that's sort of uh, what I think yeah I've, it's like I said straightforward Davis and Davis and CCJ is gonna be the is gonna have to be the how they're gonna approach that. I still think uh, Rizda, if you're gonna if you're gonna use him, he is versatile. He is we kind of like pigeonholed him into this hold uh, defensive midfield holding midfielder role, but he's one of the best strikers of the ball we have. Um, yeah, does good for dead ball pieces, set pieces. I think he can be deployed to spell as a late game sub for Kaku. He can perform roles to, to spell for Davis if you need him. He can even be deployed as a sub on the wing or a spot starter. He should not be the first name on the team sheet, but he should be the first name on the team every single every single game. Yeah. Um, next question coming from oh wow it's me. I sent this question in to try and uh, spite Fernando, but he ditched in this episode like a coward. So uh, because he ditched, um, I'm going to read this question anyway. Will the Mets make the World Series this year? And because Fernando is a coward and ran away to Vermont, no. They're going to choke. All their best players are getting binned. And Mickey Calloway is going to be the eternal manager like you deserve. Yeah. <laughs> That's that, that, that. Sometimes it be like that. As it do be know, like that sometimes. Yeah. 28 rings season is coming, boys. The only 28 team- rings, baby. The only team to appear in the World Series every decade since the 1920s. We're coming for you. It's happening. 28 rings, guys. The Yankees, World, yeah, the Yankees World Series ring parade is also going to be like the parade for Armas Out. So We're going to pitch Oh, event. my God. It really would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. It's a joint <laughs> event. It's a joint production. <laughs> we have like 50,000 50, people for our Armas Out parade. It's a true New Yorkers coming together to celebrate what's important. Well, we really we be like a road, like that. Don't, don't worry about the other guys in the car. They they they're following us. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people like dressed in navy blue are going to be like who the fuck are these guys in red like screaming and chanting and crying that this bald-headed guy has been fired. Like <laughs> That's yeah, a set. That would be scenes, man. Like I really want this to happen now. Now it would be, it would just be so perfect to just follow up with all the ticker tape and definitely act like we were there the whole time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, bellissimo as the, as they say it in the old country. I'm kissing my fingers right now. I know you can hear me. <laughs> Last one coming from Beardless Jack. Thanks for the question, Jack. How well does RVNY have to perform for Armis to win back the fans? How bad does it have to get before he's sacked? What does the in-between look like? Ooh, well, that's a, one. that's a dark one right there. Well, <laughs> here's the thing, Jack. Um, I, I, I think uh, this uh, question was asked uh, with, in, in context of not knowing how this episode was going to transpire. Um, I would argue that he's already been sacked, and it's just a matter of time. Uh, before and it's basically the, the axe is gonna officially fall like when this the moment the season ends probably 
it comes to Armis winning back the fans, I mean, I think there are going to be some guys who are legitimately way too far gone at this point. And two of them have been talking on this podcast for the last hour or so, right? I mean, I'd say I'm pretty far gone. I don't really see Chris Armis as the future of this team. And I don't really see him as the present either. But I, I get it. You know, they usually fire guys at the end of the season. That's how it goes. Um, for other for other members of the fan base, I mean, I guess if he wins MLS Cup, he could probably win back quite a number of people. Um, I think it would be abortive, actually, if he wins MLS Cup and decide to keep him on as the eternal manager. Because I think that's just going to Ben Olsen our franchise, and I don't really want that happening. How <laughs> bad does it... How bad does it have to get before he's sacked? I mean, I think if the moment we miss the playoffs, but I mean, like we're 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 not really playing for much anymore, to be completely honest with you. Anyway, this season, it definitely feels that's it. Yeah, we're playing for the memes. Like we're playing for the banter. We're playing for the memes. I think that's all it really is at this point. I wouldn't really. That's it. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, I mean, you could very well see the axe fall in the event that we miss the playoffs. And if it happens, if we miss the playoffs, well, that's showbiz, baby. I'm not going to really be too caught up by that, I guess. Because this whole season has kind of sucked ass anyway. So I'd be kind of glad that it's... Armis is like, gone. So, like, yeah. where's, the, where, where, where's the negative? Yeah, Armis is gone. That's, that, that, that's a positive. I mean, that's winning the MLS Cup right there, <laughs> if I'm being quite frank with you. Armis out is our MLS Cup, you guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only scenario if he stays on for next year would even if he like, if he makes a, maybe like a conference semi, another conference semi, uh, semifinals and makes a run or something. And then like he, he wins like the League's Cup or something next year for as like just the perfect. That would truly. Um, us him making the conference semifinals this year, keeping on next year, winning the league's cup in 2020 and missing the playoffs and getting sacked in 2020 after winning the league's cup, that would be like the absolute like worst case scenario, but it would quite clearly be the funniest. I feel, I, I feel like a neutral observer. That would be hysterical. Dude, I, I would be like tweeting like to solve MLS like so hard while we're lifting the trophy and confetti's raining all around the team, and I'd just be sitting there furious, furiously typing into my phone like Armis out to solve MLS, throw Don Garber in jail, you know all that shit. Like I would be furious if that happened and they kept him oh, on. Like I would, would become Red Bull out if they kept Chris Armis on because of that shit because that's just fucking whack, bro. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like that's a very the, the path forward for Armis is the MLS Cup. The only like the only thing, even now, I, I even don't think an MLS Cup would win his job because he's quite clearly not who Ralph has in mind. Because it is a new administration taking over. Even if he wins the trophy, like he'll he'll have a very short window in 2020, not. The moment to fire Chris Armis this season has passed. So I don't think you're going to see a moment where he's um, sacked. Even if at this point, what, it's, it's like six or seven games? That's like the time you sack a coach anyway, if you're like a really shit team. But he's, at this point, with it still in contention for playoffs, unless we lose like six of the next 
whatever remaining games. We then we then he'd probably get the bin. But even then, like that's only two two games that Bradley Carnell or John Wallenick would step up to coach, and then that doesn't really give you anything. The only time he would have had a chance of losing is if we lost um, to we lost that Atlanta sit at that Atlanta and City and New York City FC game games back to back. That was the if we lost those back to back, that was the highest risk for a sacking for Chris Armis in my personal mind. Um, but aside from that, he's he's got a few a few weeks left as the first team manager here, and then we get to wildly specul- speculate which who's coming in. That's going to be fun. I, I personally, on a personal level, I am looking forward to the uncertainty of who the net who is the new going to be the new coach it's going to be a fun one yeah it's good yeah it's definitely going to be a fun window this winter and i think i'm looking forward to it as well i mean like a lot, upheaval is an interesting time for the ripple organization and a lot of really big tough decisions are going to be made uh knowing ralph i guess so uh, don't be surprised if you see some real shockers this winter folks um yeah so i'm really out to say for now um last bit I mean, it's not really a question, but this one comes from Casey Jones. Missed you. Heart emoji. We missed you guys, too. Glad to have be pushing this episode out for you guys. And, uh, you know, I think uh, that kind of wraps things up for us here. Speaking of which, I'm clocking in about 90 minutes or so this week. Uh, Tom, do you have anything to add before uh, we sign off here? Fire Chris Armis. Get him out of the club. <laughs> Send him off. Leave him in Montreal confiscate his passport just that's the best way to get rid of him just leave him as a, a nameless guy in the streets of olympic stadium or the saputo dome whatever and then we we go on to the playoffs with john wildman or ralph himself coaching us that's my dream scenario it's easy it's affordable just take his passport put it in the paper shredder he can't leave unless it's a passport card then shred that cut it up and we'll go for the playoffs that's 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 my take this is my favorite Billy Mays infomercial, by the way. So I, I can sign off on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a while since uh, you last heard from us, and we hope that the next time you hear from us wouldn't be as long. We're really trying to sort things out, you guys. So uh, sorry if uh, you kind of missed us um, talking shit every single week. Uh, it's been it's been busy the past few months. I'll just put it that way. Um, other than that, much friend TV saying thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you uh, for the LAFC game, presumably. Um, and then after that, it's uh, the onward march towards getting Chris Armis out of our club and saving our team from the oppression of this bald tyrant. Other than that, Metro Friend TV saying peace out, good night, and Armis out. Bye bye.